You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. They're back. The 2023 Alabama Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of r r Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to r r and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon with a good supply of sunshine. The high today, 81. Tonight becoming mostly cloudy with a low at 61. A cloudy day tomorrow with a few periods of light rain likely. Tomorrow's high in the middle 70s, around 76 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 78 degrees in Tuscaloosa. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Our interviews concerning Alabama football and all brought to you by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker Advantage Realty Group. And she'll be with us uh, coming up on uh, Friday from noon to two as we take Big Noon Sports on the road. The place to be is Ennis Free. So that'll be a blast. It always is. Also, uh, want to take a, a minute to mention that Johnny will be with us in just a second. Meanwhile, Lars, we can keep talking about last night's play for the next hour and 45 minutes, but it was spectacular, but I think I even I have to realize that's not the only thing going on in the world of sports. Alabama is playing Arkansas this weekend at 11 o'clock. Love those early kicks. Not sure that many other people do, but I do because I'm old and I like to go to bed early. That's not always the case, though, Lars Anderson. Let's bring in Johnny Cogden uh, of ABC 3340. He was in Auburn yesterday. We're going to ask him about that. Johnny, it's Matt and Lars, and I appreciate you joining us. You okay? What's going on, fellas? Yeah, we're uh, we're in the car right now. we got a little high school feature piece we're cooking up for Friday, and then we're headed to uh, Calhoun County to cover Jacksonville State Liberty tonight, which is Maybe the biggest conference USA game of the year, and people might say football tonight and look and say it's only Tuesday, and I would say, yep, that sounds just as crazy as it is, but they will play a really big football game tonight out in Jacksonville State. Uh, I think that game kicks off at 6.30, so we're going to be doing some live stuff at 6, and then a little wrap tonight at 10 o'clock. So, hey, anytime there's a football game to cover on a Tuesday, uh, sign me up for that. should be a lot of fun. Go Gamecocks. That'll be a lot of fun to cover. Hey, before we get into that game, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, 
I'm assuming you watched, you saw, and seen it over and over again, how the Atlanta Braves beat the Phillies 5-4 to four last night. Your thoughts on that, John? You know, I did see that. And so my sports photographer, Chris McCulley, I'm sure you guys have seen him around. as maybe the biggest Braves fan I've ever met in my entire life. I mean, this kid lives and dies with pitch seven of game 14 of the season. And, I mean, it is the highest of highs and the lowest of lows with him. And let me tell you, when he left the sports office yesterday around, let's say, 5.30, 6 o'clock, he was ready to start uh, writing the eulogy for the Braves season. You know, who could blame him? Because when you send out Strider and you don't get a win, and then Freed, or excuse me, Freed gets, uh, knocked around early in that first inning. I know they got bases loaded and got out of the jam. I go, oh, my goodness. This Braves team that I believe tied the MLB record for home runs in a single season, this Braves team that's a wagon at every position, as deep as any bullpen and starting rotation still in the playoffs, they're really going to go down 0-2. And you know what? They showed the resolve of a champion. And that, that play by Taylor in center field and then the heads-up play by Riley to get to that ball and fire it over to first base backhanded and then make that throw to get Bryce Harper that looked like he was running in slow motion. I mean, that is a series-defining play, and that might be a play that you look back at the Braves or World Series champions in 2013 and point to that singular play and say, if that doesn't happen, they're not where they are right now. So, I mean, what theater? I mean, I haven't been able to enjoy playoff baseball in what feels like six years. So, not that I'm a Braves fan by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I'd like to see them go as far as possible because if nothing else, it's pretty good for work. <laughs> Yeah, it really reminded me of the Derek Jeter flip play to catcher Jorge Posada uh, in the uh, 2001 uh, American League Division Series uh, against the Athletics and just uh, a phenomenal improvisational play and uh, just wow, how exciting was that uh, and also exciting. For Alabama fans was uh, the performance of the Crimson Tide on Saturday at uh, Kyle Field in College Station. Just uh, to, to begin with, your your overall big picture thoughts of what transpired. Well, I thought it's, uh, it's not breaking news. Everybody that watched the game saw the performance from Jermaine Burton, and I don't think it's any question it's his best game uh, since he's come to Alabama, obviously transferring from Georgia that year that they won a national championship. And it's not just how he did it. He went in with the mentality that we have to start attacking. Because if you've watched this Alabama offense play for the last few weeks, to call them timid at times would be an understatement, especially when you go back and watch some of that Texas game and, of course, the debacle down in Tampa against South Florida, a game that should have been a 55-point victory. Instead, they had to eke it out in the fourth quarter. And it was really the first time all year I really saw Jalen Milrow throw the ball with confidence and with some, some real attitude. And I thought he was Alabama's, if not best player, second best player just behind Burton. And they just said, hey, we can't go out there and not play to lose. We can't have the defense win this for us. We're going to have to make a handful of really big plays if we want to put up points to be able to beat a team of A&M caliber in their own backyard. So it was so encouraging to, to, to see a guy like Burton really have the attitude that we have to go out and take it instead of hoping the other team makes enough mistakes that you're able to back into a victory. Uh, I still can't believe they took 14 penalties in that place and won a game. My time in Texas, I covered a few games down in Kyle Field. And I know Jordan-Hare Stadium and Tiger Stadium and the Swamp, and there's these traditional SEC buildings that are considered the toughest place to play in the conference. And I won't disagree with any of those three. But Kyle Field is a different animal, especially when it comes to the noise. 
And not to mention, it's a further travel for it's uh, further building to travel to than some of these other ones. So it's just kind of weird. I'll never forget going out for that night game two years ago, and it was evident from the first drive of the game that Bryce didn't look comfortable. The offensive line didn't look comfortable, and obviously we saw what happened with Zach Calzada pulling a, a rabbit out of his hat and being able to upset Alabama. Uh, first, I, just, I believe it was the first time Saban had ever lost to an assistant at that time under Jimbo Fisher uh, when A&M was able to pull the upset two years ago. But but ultimately. That is a building where things are going to go wrong, and things did go wrong for Alabama. I believe it was nine procedural penalties or whatever it was. So I, you always see the, the silent count. And Freeze talked about that yesterday at Auburn, talked about repping the silent count. And I'll be completely honest with you, man. I played high school football. I never made it up to the college ranks. And I have a very baseline knowledge of what a silent count is. But whatever it is, it's not working for Alabama, and they've had issues with it in the past, so I don't know how they're going to be able to get that ball back to the quarterback from a cadence standpoint, but they're going to have to experiment and try some different things because that following pass is not working. Is that the best front seven that Alabama will face all year? And did they have more to do with Alabama's inability to run than Alabama's offensive lines? I think it's the best front seven in the SEC. Um, I'm not as well-versed with the other conferences. I won't go as far as to say it's one of the best in the nation. But when you look at Jimbo's recruiting class two years ago that was number one in the nation, a lot of those guys are now on that defensive line, and they were able to absolutely wreak havoc at times last week on Alabama's offensive front. And I know that they keep trying out Caden out there, and then they'll throw Pritchett at left tackle, and they'll do some different combinations. And I think Caden Proctor is going to be a really good player in a few years, and one day he's going to get drafted in the National Football League and has all the measurables and traits of a, of a franchise left tackle. But we got to keep in mind this kid is 18 years old, and you have really thrown him into the fire, and there's been times where he's really struggled. Uh, I, I know at right guard, Dalport was hurt, so they were able to insert 77 there. And although I don't think he had the greatest day, Saban was proud of his effort at the end of the day. And I, I think if Alabama can survive, that A&M attack, because that's what it is, especially on passing down. Once it became third and 10 or north of third and 10, you knew that they were going to be able to get to the quarterback. So I think Tommy Reese had to make a more concerted effort, especially in that second half, to make sure that they weren't always in obvious passing down situations. And I think they did a better job of that in the second half. And i got to give Jalen Milrow a lot of credit for his ability to not just make that first and second read that Alabama fans were talking about the first few weeks of the season, but his ability to keep his eyes downfield, and especially on that Burton touchdown where he ran the length of the field and caught it on the very half-inch line going out of bounds in the end zone. I thought that was probably Jalen Milrow's best play of the entire season, and it's shown some real growth and maturity. Now, I'm not as far as to say I trust him entirely yet to be the quarterback of this Alabama team that's going to go on a playoff run and win a national title. But from talking to a handful of fans, I think they feel a lot more better. They feel a lot better about Jalen Milrow going into battle in these big SEC games than they did like two weeks ago. Johnny, after the game, Nick Saban was uh, just talking about the overall performance and, uh, you know, clearly uh, mistakes were made. And he essentially said, if we get this cleaned up, I think we can be a very good team. He did not say great team. Can this become a great team, sort of flaws and all? Great team. So let, let me twist your words a little. And when you say great, I'm going to say, can this team be a college football playoff caliber team? And to that, I would say yes. 
But the difference between this year's Alabama playoff caliber team and other past Alabama playoff caliber teams is for about a decade there, Alabama was the favorite to win a national title. I don't believe they're in that category anymore. I think they're a contender to give them a puncher shot in any game against any team in the country. But I believe we're past the days of, hey, this Alabama team is going to be a six and a half, eight and a half, ten and a half point favorite in a playoff game against the Michigan, against an Ohio State, against the USC or Oregon. I, I think if Alabama does make the playoff, obviously they're going to have to beat number one Georgia, who does not look like number one Georgia for the past two, three years. And they're going to have to do it with some help because when you look around the country, we were talking to me and Jeff Spiegel, of course, he's a legend here in Birmingham. We were talking Sunday night, getting ready for the zone, our sports specialty show we do on Sunday night. And if you look around college football right now, there's a very good chance you're going to get an undefeated team out of the Big Ten, rather that be Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State. You're going to get an undefeated team out of the ACC, rather that be Florida State or Louisville. You probably might get an undefeated Oklahoma out of the Big 12. And then if you're Alabama or a fan of any of these teams that's trying to slip into the playoff with a loss, you're going to have to hope the Pac-12 cannibalizes themselves and a combination of Washington, USC, and Oregon find a way to beat each other. Because there is a world where Alabama beats number one Georgia in December in Atlanta and potentially could be left out of the playoff. And I know that sounds unconscionable to people, considering what this conference has mean to the sport and how usually the top team in the SEC is usually the top team in the sport. But it just might, might not be the case in this final year before we transition and pivot to that 12-team playoff in 2024. And I'm not saying that's all going to go chalk and all these teams are going to go undefeated, but it, it, it's something that SEC fans need to realize that Alabama is 11 right now in the AP poll. And following losses in past seasons, you're still looking up at Alabama's 5 or 4 or 6. they got a lot of ground to make up before we can start talking about playoffs. So I know that was a long way to answer your question, Lars, about is this a great team or a good team? I think it could be a very good team, and I'll, I'll stop short of great because I just don't trust the quarterback play, and I don't trust the quarterback play, especially down the stretch against elite defenses and elite secondary. That's a great point, though, about the possibility of being shut out of the playoffs, even if uh, Alabama runs the table and beats Georgia in uh, the SEC championship right. game, Matt. It, it, that is crazy to think, and I, I hadn't, uh, <laughs> I hadn't uh, even thought about that, but I think you're spot on, Matt. Oh, that's pretty interesting. I'm going to have to do a deep dive. First, we need to take a break. Johnny, can you hang on for a break? Stay with us. Absolutely. Hey, by the way, if you're not already there, I have great shortcuts to Jacksonville. If you need to know it, I'll just give it to you. All right. Uh, this interview being brought to you in part by Laura Lee Thompson, CFAMA broker, and uh, she can take care of all your needs. And you'll hear her Friday right here on Big News Sports as we broadcast live from Ennis Free, the place to be, back in a moment. Join SEC Sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. We got another terrific day here in the state of Alabama. Thank you all for joining us. And a special thanks to Johnny Cogden as he joins us live on his way to Jack State. So he'll give us a report on that tomorrow. How's your trip going? Oh, good. We're uh, we're actually driving an audience story on uh, the kid named Fluff Bothwell, who just had an all-time night for Aniana the other night. I think he 
he rushed past and caught a touchdown in the game, and I think he had six or seven of them. So we're at seven. My photographer, Chris McCullough, he's telling me right now. So we're, we're going up to talk to that young man. And it was fun. I had this trivia question. We always go back and forth in the sports office with people because he's such a wealth of information. I said there's been three players in the history of the National Football League that have rushed, caught, and passed for a touchdown in a single game. It was Walter Payton, Ladanian Tomlinson, and then Patriot uh, journeyman David Patton. Rest his soul, who passed away a few years ago. So that's always a fun little piece of trivia. But uh, no, we're looking forward to it. It's a fun Tuesday. Wow. Great trivia. Hey, you were uh, you were at Auburn yesterday. Let's get a quick check on Hugh Free. What's the status of the Tigers right now? Yeah, I, yesterday was a refreshed Hugh Freeze compared to what I believe we've seen the last few Mondays. Now, I haven't covered an Auburn game in person this year. However, every Monday I'm down there for the most part, and uh, we have an opportunity to talk to Freeze and uh, of course, but this being his first year down there, compared to last year with Brian Harson, I mean, it is a breath of fresh air just when it comes to having a conversation with the guy. Uh, he, he's very forthright with information. I don't feel like he's uh, trying to lead you astray. Most of the times, he's kind of a straight shooter when he talks about his football team, and he's very realistic and honest. And I think if you're an Auburn fan, you got to be, I don't want to say happy because the wins haven't necessarily been there this year, but I feel like he's got them on the right track, and that starts with recruiting. I know they got the 18th class in the country for 2024, and you might hear that and go, all right, that's something Auburn should be. But when you look at the neglect job that's been done to that program these past few years from a recruiting standpoint, the fact that in his first year, his 2024 class is a top 20 class, I mean, that that is exceptional in its own right. And basically the tenor of his discussion yesterday was a complete evaluation of not just everyone but everything in the first bi-week of the year. They're only bi-week, I should say, of the year. And I was encouraged to hear what he had to say about Peyton Thorne, who was named the starter out of camp, obviously the transfer from Michigan State, and how he started to slowly take steps in the right direction because if you follow on the football for a year and year on basis – he was splitting carries with Robbie Ashford, who's been dubbed Red Zone Robbie by fans down there because of his incredible running ability and the ability to run the read option. But ultimately, I think Freeze's biggest concern or probably biggest disappointment this season is that they haven't really gotten any exceptional play out of a receiver. And you look at anywhere he's gone, from Arkansas State to Ole Miss, and then even in Liberty a year ago, producing a product like Pop Douglas, he's always had dynamic playmakers on the outside. And I believe it was preseason when we gave him that little tidbit that Auburn hasn't had a thousand yard receiver in close to a decade or maybe, maybe even more. He kind of was blown away by that. And he said, basically, everywhere we go, we get that position active and we get that position productive. And that necessarily hasn't been the case of Auburn this year. It's been more of the same from the receiver position. So. If you're an Auburn fan, you knew Rome wasn't built in one day. This was going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And especially with having Georgia in there two weeks ago and Auburn playing them as close as they did. Uh, I think Hugh Freeze has definitely gotten a passing grade so far in his first year from Maine. Granted, it's an incomplete grade because they got to finish the year and they got to see if they can get bowl eligible. But as far as the roster goes, they're just not anywhere near as talented as some of these teams they're going to play in the Southeastern Conference this year. 
Yeah, Johnny, uh, Matt and I have been, you know, talking about Hugh just since, uh, since day one and kind of analyzing every single move he's made. And it's hard to find any, any point where he's made a misstep or it's hard to, uh, find anything to be critical about with him. It just, it just feels like this is a really, really good fit. And I thought what was most encouraging about that Georgia game was uh, not just the fact that, you know, the, the, the crowd was into it and, and, uh, and Auburn was able to keep it close, but it was the effort level of the kids. They clearly sure. care about their coach and, and their coach is resonating with them. And you never saw that in the Harson era, maybe once or twice early on before people really knew who this dude was. But, uh, to me, that's the most impressive thing. And, and don't you think just given Hughes' track record, he'll get the quarterback situation figured out and he'll get the wide receiver situation figured out? Absolutely. He's going to get his guys in, but maybe the most surprising thing with Auburn this year is just how good their defense is. I mean, when you think of Hugh Freeze, you think of the RPOs and the spread it out and shoot and gun and try to get as many points as possible. You don't necessarily think of defense. But when you look at guys like Jalen Simpson, who barely or practically has an interception each and every week, guys like Eugene Asante, who was maybe the best player in college football a few weeks ago when they went on the road to Cal, was an absolute monster defensively. He brings in a Vanderbilt transfer and Elijah McAllister, who's been a solid edge for them this year. I mean, defensive line-wise, they don't have the bodies that they've, you know, had the days of Nick Farley and Derek Brown and some of some of those fantastic next-level NFL defensive tackles. But it, it, the, some of the moves that he was able to make in the transfer portal to bring in immediate impact playmakers on defense is the reason why they're keeping up with Georgia in a game like that. Now, granted, they didn't do a great job of tackling Brock Bowers on the stretch, especially in that fourth quarter, but defensively, they're leaps and bounds better than I expected them to be as someone who's covered this Auburn program for three years now. And offensively, I mean, you talk about recruiting, 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 because that's the lifeblood of Hugh Freeze, and that's the reason, ultimately, I believe he was hired to take over at Auburn because his ability to recruit. I mean, how long was it before Alabama, or before Auburn was able to recruit some of these five-star kids in-state? Rather, if it was Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or Dabo Sweeney coming over from Clemson to, to, to pluck some of the best players from this state. I mean, you look at Perry Nuno Thompson down in Foley. He's able to flip him from Alabama. I know he's not done. He's still actively recruiting a kid like Jalen Mbappe up in Clay Chalkville, who's had a fantastic season for those Cougars. And then ultimately, when you look at some of the skill position players, Lars, to your point, they need to be more dynamic and impactful at the receiver position. Because this isn't the old days of the SEC three yards and a cloud of dust. You're going to try to win games 10 to 7. You have to put up points in bunches. And if an Auburn, if I'm an Auburn fan, I'm encouraged that you have the right man in the head coaching position that understands that and knows that it's time to evolve. And Auburn's going to have to get back to a point where they were at times under Gus Malzahn, where they're just going to have to beat you in a shootout because that's the day and age we live in. Johnny, who is, uh, who has surprised you the least and the most or the worst and the best in the SEC halfway through the season? Oh, God. Well, ultimately, I would have thought LSU probably would have been unblemished this year. I was I couldn't have been more wrong week one against Florida State. I was really bullish on Jaden Daniels. And although I believe he's you know, been a pretty good player for them this year, and he's putting up numbers, especially in that shootout last 
week against Missouri up in Columbia, their defense might be the worst in the conference. And it's really let them down. I mean, Brian Kelly's Notre Dame teams over the year, you could always lean on some of those defenses until it came to the bowl season or playoff season. And they did beat ultimately by a better team. But LSU, if you ask me, is one of my biggest, biggest disappointments. And then if you ask me who a team that I think probably has played above their level right now was Ole Miss. And granted, they didn't show up against Alabama. Alabama and Nick Saban remain Lane Kiffin's kryptonite. But Kiffin was desperately, desperately searching for a big signature win. They got that two weeks ago against LSU. And then I think Arkansas, guys, who's coming into Tuscaloosa this week, I, I think that's a pretty good team. I think K.J. Jefferson's a fantastic quarterback who isn't nearly getting the protection that Arkansas has enjoyed in previous years. Usually Arkansas yeah. is known for those big linemen that play at the next level. And from a protection standpoint, they, they really failed them this year. So that was a shoot-up uh, in Fayetteville the other night, and Ole Miss was able to go up and get the victory. So I, I'll say Ole Miss kind of played above their season. You know, they play better against Alabama in that first half. There's a chance Ole Miss is undefeated and, and the team to beat in the SEC West. But ultimately, Nick Saban and company had something to say about that. So I'd say uh, disappointment LSU and a team maybe playing a little above their speed right now would be uh, Ole Miss. Johnny, we in Alabama know a little bit about the Texas Longhorns. Were you surprised that Oklahoma took care of business and, uh, and beat Texas on Saturday? You know, I wasn't as surprised because I felt like at the end of that game, whoever had the football last was going to win. But I, I think people need to give Brent Benables a, a lot of credit. And so someone, some of us have to give him a big apology, me leading that, because I thought that looked like a train wreck. If you go back and watch that Red River rivalry a year ago, Oklahoma's defense didn't belong on the field with a team like Texas. Now Texas is even more talented and better this year because there are people – I remember talking to a few scouts at the Alabama game this year when Texas came to visit that people think that this Texas team might be the most talented team in the nation from a pure skill and talent standpoint. And for Oklahoma to go in there in a Cotton Bowl environment where I think it's one of the greatest aesthetics in sports, Texas, Oklahoma, the uniform matchup is beautiful. The, the, the backdrop of the Texas State Fair, I've had the opportunity to cover that game once and if it's an SEC fan, you should be able to adopt that rivalry into the conference. That it, it, It's going to be a special, special game. And now I'm just happy it's going to be in the SEC. But Brett Venables, man, gotten that team playing to a level. And a kid like Dylan Gabriel, man, what an effort. And just absolute ice water in his veins to go down the field and get that final score. What, what, what a game. That was so much fun last Saturday. Venerable yeah, doing a great job. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I am uh, really happy for him because Matt, I wasn't expecting Oklahoma to turn around like this. Nor was I. Nor was I. No, I figured he'd be doing this in year three, if at all. But man, uh, he's been incredible. And uh, if you haven't seen Gabriel play, you need to. Hey, Johnny, have safe travels today, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Hey, Matt, Warren, thanks to you as always. Appreciate being on with you guys and uh, take care. Have a great show. Thank you, Johnny. Great stuff. All right. Hey, let's take a break. And uh, when we get back, there's uh, an interesting post on Facebook involving UAB and a few other schools. Well worth going over. And we'll do that in just a moment. You're listening to Big Men Sports. Coming.
coming up, coming up on The Game with Ryan Fowler. Coming up on the Tuesday edition of The Game, Dreamland Score Prediction Day. We'll look ahead to Alabama, Arkansas. We'll take your phone calls. We'll take your predictions. We'll talk to Mike Dettelier, WWL, the Big 870, right here on Tide 100.9 and WTBC 1230, the home of Alabama Crimson Tide Sports. The longest-running sports program in Tuscaloosa. The Game with Ryan Fowler. Weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon with a good supply of sunshine. The high today, 81. Tonight becoming mostly cloudy with a low at 61. A cloudy day tomorrow with a few periods of light rain likely. Tomorrow's high in the middle 70s, around 76 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 80 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Lars Anderson, Justin Jones, I'm Matt Coker. Thanks for dialing us in this afternoon. Lars, let me ask you a quick question about a source or a, a media outlet. Uh, Fan Nation. On a scale of one to ten, where do they rank in credibility and all that? Hmm. I haven't put much thought into that one. Uh, well, so I, I would say maybe ever, five, yeah. six. I don't I would, know. I would too. They have uh, posted a story about candidates if the ACC continues to expand. You want to take a shot at this or you just want me to jump in? I think jump in. Okay. Pulsa, you give me uh, give me a yay or nay on that. Nay. If you like it, nay. Uh, UAB, possibly. What do you think? I, mean, you, I, 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 you always have to consider the the totality of what an institution brings to a conference, and academics is there. Football conceivably would be there. It would be good for the ACC to have a footprint in Alabama. Basketball could be there. So you know, it, it, and there would you'd have more money coming in to UAB. I mean, certainly UAB wouldn't turn that down, right? 
No way they would. Of course, we'd have to ask Mark Ingram himself, but he's probably not talking about it right now. How about South Florida? Probably not. Uh, East Carolina, the Pirates. Probably not, but again, we're in a new era, so if the goal is simply to add as many schools as possible, then I suppose East Carolina and the Tulsa's and the South Florida's would be open for discussion among the uh, ACC brass, right? I mean, if you want to try to match what the Big Ten is doing, if that's where we're going and and the ACC sees what's happening with the Big 12 expansion, uh, the SEC certainly isn't going anywhere, and uh, the Big Ten obviously not going anywhere. So, yeah, I mean, it, it just sort of depends on the criteria, right, that, that they would apply to uh, to determine whether or not they wanted to bring these different schools into the fold. Last one, which I will tell you beforehand, I think this is a fit, is Memphis. Yeah. Basketball. Uh, they've had real, some success in football. Uh, and those are the two money-making sports. So, and uh, yeah, th- and th- it'd be a cultural fit. Um yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I don't know the credibility of, of this report at all, but uh, it seems like if you are standing still, you're falling behind. And, uh, you know, we don't know what discussions uh, Greg Sankey is having, right, with other uh, institutions at this uh, at this time. But, uh, yeah, I, I know we got Joseph uh, on the air, Matt. Yeah. Let's go, Joseph. You're on the air on Big News Sports. How are you, sir? I'm doing awesome. I'm going to ask y'all a question. Okay, and the question is: Can Jalen Mirror be a Cam Newton or Michael Vick? I'm sorry, you broke up. Can yeah, Jaylen- he said the question was: uh, Can Jalen Milrow become a Cam Newton or a Michael Vick? And um, I would say that, uh, you know, he's still a work in progress. Uh, The uh, uh, he still uh, needs to develop, needs coaching, needs time. But, man, the 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 raw talent is there. I mean, uh, and it just uh, to me, Matt, that the the level of potential with Jalen is extremely high. Yeah, but so is the cotton y'all are picking here, too, because Cam and Michael Vick were just exceptional. And I think even as good as Milrow is, these guys, I would say they were athletically skilled more so than than Jalen. Am I wrong, Joseph? No, well, I'm going to be honest with you now. Uh, like I said, Cam, you know, he was a backup for most of his time until he got to Auburn, and then he started, and he, I think he was like a junior or senior then. So he had more experience than Jay, uh, than Jalen Miro did. So, and Miro, you know, is not too far out from Cam, I don't think, because they kind of done the same thing. You know, when Alabama went into the Iron Bowl in 2010, 
They said they were going to shut Cam's run down. Or they shut Cam's run down, Cam beat us with his arm. Well, Texas A&M says we're going to shut Jalen Miro down. We're going to make him beat us with his arm. Well, guess what? Miro did. He threw for three touchdowns, 321 yards. I mean, so, I mean, but I don't think it's far-fetched. I think, like I said, I think, I mean, is he there yet? No, but I think probably by his, probably by next year, he's going to be pretty close. I, uh, I mean, because you just look at the, the way they, way he plays. He's, he's just as fast as Michael Vick, if not faster. Well, two of the uh, greatest seasons I've ever witnessed of quarterback play in college football history, or witnessed with my own eyes, was one, Cam Newton, and two, I was lucky enough to cover many of Michael Vick's games when he was a redshirt freshman and ended up being a Heisman Trophy finalist. And in and, and, and that game against Florida State in the Sugar Bowl, uh, can't, or, uh, excuse me, Michael Vick was just incredible. Incredible, Justin. I think, I, I remember that, and I think you're right. I think a comparison, I'm, I've not heard, but just popped into my head is Lamar Jackson at Louisville. Jalen Milrose definitely a more physical yeah, that's quarterback, good. but what was Lamar the, good in, at? In terms of the passing? Deep ball and, yeah. and scrambling, and that's what we've seen so far. Well, because Jalen Milrose is just a freak athlete, man. I mean, wait, wait a minute, Joseph. Have you come around on Jalen now? Yeah. Are you? That's uh... what I was say, so. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I have. All That's right. the way he Welcome, welcome. We we embrace you. Welcome, welcome to our side of uh, of, of of the world. You know that's uh, that tells me a little bit more about you, Joseph. That you're admittedly. Flipping and no, Milrose. hey, I, I love it when people now, when people hit the wrong. Vick, I, I appreciate know. that. I appreciate that. Hey, we gotta go, Joe. We gotta go, Lars. We gotta go. Top of the hour. We'll come back next hour. Oh man, I've got so many questions for Rick Christopher, 40, 50 year coach. Uh, and I'll start in Miami and. Man, it'll be fun. He's coming up next hour. You listen to Big News Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. From our home base. It's the Tide 100.9 30K Workday Payday. Win cash every weekday, 8 to 5. Here's this hour's cash code. 455. Again, that's 455. The code is Four five five. Enter that code now on the Tide 100.9 app. Click on the 30K Payday button and enter the code for a chance to win $30,000. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Hey, welcome back. This is Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. And also want to uh, just recap our first hour because I want to, because it makes me happy. Braves win. Braves win. One of the uh, most dramatic endings to a baseball game I've ever seen. Of course, it helps that I'm a huge Braves fan because I was, Lars, I was jumping around the living room. You can imagine. Yeah, it was uh, an incredible ending. One of the most dramatic. Uh, about uh, what was it? About a 
12, 15 minute stretch of baseball you're ever going to see. Yeah. And uh, with, with, with the two run home run with two outs, two strikes in the bottom of the eighth to give the Braves a 5-4 win. And then the incredible catch uh, at, at, at the fence and uh, the, the terrific play to uh, double up. Bryce Harper, arguably the best player in Major League Baseball with a little bit of a of base running error. But you know what makes me happy, Matt? Today is 10-10. You know why it makes me happy? Let, no. me, uh, let me think. Let me think. 10-10. Ten, ten. Nine plus one is ten. That's your clue. Good. Joe Burrow. Uh-huh. To Jamar Chase. 15, 15 receptions, 194 yards, three touchdowns last week. The Bengals and Joe Burrow are back. Nine plus one is 10. 10 10. It's Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase Day. Okay. Hadn't thought about that. Yeah, uh, I'm sure I'm the only one in the state of Alabama that's thought about that. Well, <laughs> now you got everybody thinking about it. <laughs> Uh, hey, a story caught my eye from ESPN, and I'm, I hope you have seen it. I just caught it this morning, but the, the title is NCAA to discuss NIL changes allowing more school involvement. Okay, that in itself scares me. Uh, does the NCAA need to be involved in this at all because they're just kind of a spineless organization. Um, some of this sounds really good, Lars. I'm going to give you the four, uh, I guess, the four criteria that would make up these changes. One is that the universities and colleges would be able to help the players find deals. To be honest with you, I think that's already going on. But, yeah. Uh, it would help them in reviewing their contracts. Now, that sounds pretty good to me. That's okay. It would help with, with their accounting, their taxes. I don't think they need help, but okay. I mean, none of the, this. Is, okay, these two things are nothing. All right. And then uh, they would help them with resources. And it says cameras, graphic design, and such. They don't need that I don't either. know if they're going to go to the extent where they they will start <laughs> allowing use of the university's logos, nicknames, mascots. But that one scares me. And I'll tell you why. Um, if you've got a hotshot quarterback that's going to sign a deal that requires production for a television commercial, are you going to go to the local cable agency and have them produce it? And I'm not demeaning cable agencies, okay? Or are you going to go hire the best ad agency and marketing firm in New York City? A big difference in the cost and the overall production of that. Same thing with graphic design. They're going to help them with that. They're just going to get somebody that's a fifth-year marketing student at Alabama, or are they going to go to the best graphic design team in the nation? You understand my point, I think. Yes, I do, but I also think that we are talking about uh, lower-level uh, athletes here, not, not uh, five stars. 
And, uh, and, and Justin uh, brought this to our attention just a couple minutes ago. Uh, Mark Stoops, uh, Kentucky head coach, was um, I think he was on, he was on his radio show or maybe a television show, and he was he was asked, you know, Kentucky just got throttled by Georgia, right? And um, and he said, this is the quote, and it's an it's an amazing quote. I, I honestly I can't believe that a college head coach said this, but he said fans have the right to complain. I give it to them. I just encourage them to donate more because that's what those dudes are doing. I can promise wow. you, Georgia, they bought they bought some pretty good players. You're allowed to these days. We could use some help. So he is pleading with the fans. The only way, this is what he's saying, the only way for us to compete with Georgia is for you to give us money so we can pay the best guys to come here. That's what it is. And, and guys, not to point finger fingers, but Kentucky's done it before in basketball when it wasn't a thing. <laughs> yeah, the infamous FedEx package. Yep. But, uh, but, but just wow, just wow. And, and so the, the, the uh, rule changes by the NCAA, you know, uh, that, that's all nice. It's, it's pretty, it sounds good, and they're actually acting and doing something. But you know what? It just comes down to one thing, the stack of green that you can put in front of a player. That's all that really matters. You know, guys, uh, I don't think he said it in such a cavalier attitude. But didn't Nick Saban hint to this, too? Yeah. About getting more money to the collectives and all that kind of stuff? I just love the way well, this is, how brash Stoops was. By, well, Stoops, I mean, look, Kentucky got absolutely boat raced on Saturday. And the discrepancy in talent on the field was as what wide as the Grand Canyon. I'll use that. I used that phrase the other day. But hey, why not go back to the well if it works? I love the Grand Canyon. I do too. Have you ever been there? I've been there many, many times. It's, fa- it's fabulous. Hey, uh, so is our next guest, Rick Christofel, talking all things football on Big News Sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon with a good supply of sunshine. The high today, 81. Tonight becoming mostly cloudy with the low at 61. A cloudy day tomorrow with a few periods of light rain likely. Tomorrow's high in the middle 70s, around 76 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 83 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. And, uh, you know, fans have that right. I, I give it to them. And, you know, I just encourage them to donate more because that's what those teams are doing. And, and, uh, and uh, I can promise you, Georgia, they, they bought some pretty good players you're allowed to these days. And uh, we can use some help. That's what. There you heard from uh, Kentucky coach Mark Stoops joining us to talk all things football once again is Rick Christophel. Rick, how are you today? I'm doing good, Matt. How about you? How about you, Lars? Doing great. Doing great. 
Uh, Rick, just your reaction to Mark Stoops. Uh, I don't know if you heard that before. Uh, he was talking about, uh, the, you know, getting beat by Georgia on Saturday and the fact that they simply, Kentucky, doesn't have as much talent as Georgia because why? Well, Georgia is paying their players more money than Kentucky can pay, pay their players. Can you believe, Rick, that we have gotten to this point in college football? No, I I can't, and uh, you know, frankly, I don't know if I, I I don't know if I could do it anymore. Lars is, is go back to college, and, and with all the recruiting and the NILs, the transfer portal, it's it's amazing how much money is exchanging hands. And you know, you can't you can't blame the players. I mean, if I was a player and, and I had a chance to make one hundred fifty two hundred thousand dollars, I'd go do that as far as, as soon as I got out of high school as much as anybody else. Rick, I gotta yes. ask you away from football. I know we say all things football, but first off, say hello to Connie for me. Um, I will. Did you 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 live in Georgia? I mean, what about the Braves last night? Uh, unbelievable! I went to bed and it was it was four to nothing when I went to bed, and I woke up this morning and watched a, a guy make a great catch. I guess his name is Harris in, in center field, throw the ball in, and then. The other great play, you know, the one they don't talk about is the, is the play the kid made, Riley, after the home run. He makes a great play on the missed cutoff and throws the ball yep. to first base. So I think that was as good a play as there was, you know, as the catch was. Yeah, it was yeah. just uh, just uh, amazing um, and, and clutch. And, and uh, I don't know, is there a, a play, like an NFL equivalent, like I, I was thinking of the Derek Jeter play many years ago, two thousand one, right? The overthrow in Oakland and Jeter does oh, the yeah. flip, uh, just complete improvisation, and uh, right. and that's what we saw last night as well. Is there an NFL equivalent that just pops to your head, or something you uh, witnessed in college? Oh, I, I think the one that was a few years ago was Odell Beckham when he made the one-handed catch in the end zone. Um, that's the one that comes to my mind. That uh, it was just unbelievable how he did that and, and uh, was able to come up with a ball. So, hey, uh, let's talk some football. What happened with Miami? I mean, is that just a no-brainer? I hate to be critical of any coaches, but to allow Georgia Tech to win that football game and he has since apologized is, by my football standards, Rick Christopher, that's unacceptable. Uh, you know, I'm like you, Matt. I, I think coaches got reasons for doing all things and you never, you never question that. But as one of, that's one of those decisions that cost you a football game. And, um, I bet you nine times out of 10, he'd go back here now and do the same thing as he would kneel down on the ball. And I mean, that was, that was one thing. Even if, even if the clock doesn't run out, you kneel down the ball and then you punt the ball down the field. You don't give them a chance to have the ball inside the, inside your 50 yard line. And that's, that's the, the biggest, you know, thing that you he's got to reckon with. And, and Rick, um, just I, what's it like now for you watching NFL on Sundays? Right, you were with Bruce for so long. Uh, Bruce Arians uh, won a Super Bowl with Tampa, um, and and now just uh, you're out of that. Right, that coaching routine. Right. Uh, how? What is it like for you on Sunday? Do you do you even, do you enjoy watching the NFL, or, or how do you approach it? 
It's hard. It's hard, Lars. I tell you, it's 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 hard to do to sit down and watch. I I do watch it. I I really like to watch the guys that I work with or guys that I know or, or that have played you know, for us and be able to watch them. But it, it's hard. That's the hardest part of being retired is sitting down there and watching. And then the other hard part is the camaraderie you have with those guys. I mean, with the coaches, with with your your guys that you you spent you know roughly nine months out of the year, ten months out of the year. You spent anywhere from 17 to 18 hours with them seven days a week. And, uh, that's hard, uh, when, when you miss that because that's your other family besides the one you come home to at night. And this is the first year since, uh, oh my gosh, a long time, right? That you've uh, been out of the game. What was that first Sunday like? Did, 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 did your wife, uh, know what to do with you? Uh, what, what, uh, what, 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 what was it like for you? She goes in the other room. <laughs> she goes. She goes in the other room and tries to stay away from me as much as I can. But no, she uh, she she's been good. She really has. She tries to keep me uh, doing things other than watching football. And, and and if I am watching football, she will she will sit down there for a little while. But then she'll go watch uh, uh, HGTV or something like that. So. Hey Rick, I want to go back to clock management for a minute. At the end of the Alabama game, they had seven seconds left and a fourth down. Is there a play that's commonly known in the NFL, college, wherever, that can kill seven seconds without question? What would you do? Well, it's, no. Usually, what you do, we had what we, we had a play uh, which we uh, put in. And it was it was nothing but it was two tight ends and and two backs in the backfield, and we. It, if it was five seconds, Matt, we would roll the quarterback out to the right, send one receiver down the sidelines as far as we could go and told the quarterback to take as much time as he could and then throw the ball as far as he could out of bounds over top of his head. And usually that kills five, five, six seconds. The seven second mark is a tough one. It's a tough one. You, you know, you, you got to figure out what you're going to do with, with fourth down. And I think field position plays a little bit to do with that too. Where yeah. you are, where you are on the field. I mean, you're not going to do something inside your 20 yard line that you would do at 50 yard line. So I think a little bit that has a little bit to do with it too. Hey, let's move in state right here. Uh, what do you think of this Alabama football team as it improves, and are they a, potentially a championship team? I, you know what? I think I think Coach Saban is doing the same. I, I think he's trying to find that out too. I think he. I think they know what they want to do. I think putting all the pieces in place, you know, I think it, uh, at the beginning of the season, you saw that with the two quarterbacks. And I think he finally settled on, on that quarterback and, and, and then they're going to, they're going to find things that he can do well and, and make it. I think they want to, they want to eliminate mistakes on offense is what they want to do, Matt, and, and not turn the ball over and do those sort of things and, and let his defense, I think his defense is going to be pretty good this year. Um, before it's all said and done, as long as they stay healthy. I mean, that's the key, and uh, it'll give them a chance. And then the whole bottom line is it's just like you talk about the NFL. You want to get to the playoffs. You want to get that playoff spot because anything can happen when you get in the playoffs. Rick, I know you don't want to be critical of any coach, and and, and, and I totally understand that, but uh, Mario Cristobal, Oh my goodness. Uh, on Saturday, Miami, all you gotta do is take a knee. Uh, right. is it, uh, 
I, I want to put this as delicate as possible. When things are happening so fast on the sideline, is it is it uh, understandable what happened, or is it just like Mario just doesn't believe in taking a knee? Uh, can you just help us understand kind of how that happened? Well, I, I, you know, I, I think he's going to take most of the blame. And when you do that, because he's the guy that's in charge of the ship, of course. But I think there's got to be certain people on the sidelines that help with that decision and, and come up and, and tell him. And I, I know that, you know, Bruce always had, we had a guy there on the sidelines to help Bruce. And then, and then I kind of helped Todd after, after a certain amount of part of the middle of the season, he, he started, we started, he started asking me questions about clock management and what we needed to do. And he, he knew what he wanted to do. He just wanted somebody either to tell him that's not what we need to do right now or, yeah, that's the thing we need to do. And I think the same thing happens. You know, I think they all got to take part of that. All take part of that blame because, you know, he, he may make the final decision, but somebody should have stepped up on his staff and, you know, said, hey, look, we don't need to do that. We need to do this. And, uh, you know, and like, of course, what I said is he's going to take the biggest part of the blame, but I think somebody else has to help him with that. Rick, we're just jumping all over the place in all things football with Rick Christopher. But uh, UAB, uh, big win, lots of offense this past Saturday. Uh, what do you think of their season so far and the job that Trent Dilfer's doing? Because it's an awful tough one. Yeah, it is. It's a tough job. I think that, incidentally, Matt, we we didn't we came through Birmingham real quick. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and I got to be able to uh, uh, go through the county, and I got to be able to go through the stadium. They gave us a tour of the stadium, and I'm I'm telling you what, that is a first class facility. That no that, that's, that that stadium is unbelievably first class. So I think you know. With that being said, I think it is a tough job. I think what they've done is they've helped with facilities and recruiting. Um, I think he'll get it to where he wants to. It's always tough to come in and follow. They've been fairly successful over the last few years. So it's it's tough to come in and follow that and uh, and and do the job that you know people expect you to do um, until you start getting your philosophy and your stuff your your players and everything all those people starting to believe in that and I I think that'll help once that once that happens. Keeping with the theme of absolutely jumping all over the place and Rick, <laughs> you're being a really good sport about this. I appreciate it. Um, because look, you have been in the, in the coaching business, uh, from, uh, 1975 until last year. Uh, you, you, uh, won a Super Bowl with, with Bruce Arians. You were at UAB from 1995 to 2006 in, in various positions. And, um, so, want to just get your analysis of Deion Sanders at, at Colorado and uh, his uh, sort of philosophy of absolutely recreating his entire roster from the transfer portal. And uh, is this going to be, as long as the rules don't change and doesn't seem like they will, is this going to be a um, a, a methodology that future coaches follow? I, I first of all, let me say, Lars. I think Deion Sanders has been the best things for college football since in a long time. He's brought excitement to a program. He's brought excitement to the game. Uh, he makes you want to watch it. Um, you know, I, it, it it killed me one day. Uh, 
Matt, you and Lars will understand this, but some I, he was being interviewed by somebody, and they asked him who the best coach was. And he said, well, I have to look in the mirror. You know, and, and my my thing is, don't ask a guy a question if you don't want an honest answer, because that's what he should say. <laughs> you know, and so and so I think that's going to happen. And I think the way he's approaching recruiting, it's got a lot of uh, NFL professional thing in it, because if you remember, if you, if you listen to what he said, he said, I'm recruiting because I'm interviewing the kids. I'm not letting the kids interview me. He says, I want to know if they're passionate and if they love the game. I want to make sure that they have character, and I want to make sure that they're smart. And uh, as long as being a good athlete, that's what you look for. I mean, when you're in the NFL, when you evaluate, you go to the combine, that's what you try to find out about all those players, those particular things. Just tremendous stuff, Rick. Yeah. You ought to, you ought to get your own podcast. You ever thought about doing that? I, I have, I, you know, I, I, my daughters, incidentally, Matt, I want to thank you for, uh, you know, Derek, Derek and Sarah are here that you, you, uh, I, I think they saw you at Talladega, uh, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Am I right? We didn't get, we didn't get to see each other, but we did communicate. And I think, uh, Derek may have brought his two sons. That's the picture that he sent me anyway. They had to blast. Yeah, they did. Oh yeah. They loved it. They loved it. That's what I, that's what I told him. I, they had they had a great great time and I want I want to thank you for for doing that. that I appreciate you doing oh, that. My pleasure. Matt is Mr. Talladega for three. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I would I would I'll tell you what, Matt. You and I get together, we'll do a podcast. Hey, I'm all in, man. I am all you, in. Let me know how we do it. Rick, can you uh can you hang for another few minutes? We'd love to continue this conversation. Yes, yes. You're the best. Thanks. More with Rick, all things football, when we get back on Big Men Sports. Built to win. Built for championships. Rose intercepted Alabama. Built by Bama. Alabama is still Alabama. The Crimson Tide play here. Join us Saturday as the Crimson Tide take on Arkansas in an SEC showdown. Our coverage begins at 8 a.m. on your home for Alabama football. Brought to you by Birmingham Racecourse. BirminghamRacecourse.com. You can be a winner. Or Big Noon Sports coming up. Big Noon Sports, beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Our guest is Rick Christopel, longtime coach, longtime great guy. And we just talk all things football unless the Braves win like they did last night. Rick, who's the best team you've seen so far in college football this year? Ooh, man, I tell you. That's hard to see. I haven't I, I haven't seen everybody play, but uh, I I like Oregon. I think they're pretty good. Um, I'm watching them. Um, Georgia's not bad. Uh, right off the top of my head, I haven't seen Michigan or Ohio State play, so I I couldn't say. Um, so that, those would be that. I, I, when I watch Oregon play Colorado, because I, I know Colorado's got some talent, Oregon's got a lot of speed. And that's that's what you got to do to win. Rick, you coached uh, tight ends with the Arizona Cardinals from 2013 to 2017, and then with Tampa Bay from 2019 to 2021. 
How good is Brock Bowers? You know, uh, Lars, he's a he's a very good athlete. Um, I don't know how big he is. Uh, he's going to be one of those flex guys, you know, what we would call an F, I think, in the NFL. I don't think he's a true tight end, um, per se. Um, I think he's more of a, a guy that you can put outside, let him let him do some things because he's very talented. He runs. He's a big body. <clears throat> he's going to be a mismatch on the inside with safeties and linebackers. Um, so I, I think he's got a really, you know, bright future in the NFL. Do is he like a top ten pick kind of guy? Is is he uh, is he kind of like the the Florida tight end uh, who now plays for the Falcons, whose name is escaping me at the moment? But uh, Pitts. yeah, Pitts, yeah, Kyle Pitts. Is yeah. he a Kyle Pitts kind of player? I mean, and also. To some teams in the NFL, would they kind of take him off their board because he is not going to be your traditional blocking kind of tight end? Well, I think well, I think that's kind of going out the window too, Lars. I think any more that the teams are looking for guys that are mismatches, they're not. Uh, they can take those kind of guys in the later rounds. I it's hard to say, you know, what people what people will will rate him and as far as where they're going to pick him in the draft. Um, because everybody has their own uh, evaluation sense and their own needs. Um, a lot of times it's hard to see a tight end going in the top ten uh, because, you know, just because you can get those guys down down and draft a little bit. Uh, so, but if somebody needs one bad they and they, and they get into that situation where they want that mismatch and, you know, they think they got to have that piece, then they might draft, draft him higher than that. Rick, what would you tell a young man that wants to become a football coach? What advice would you give him? Uh, I think you got you got to be passionate about your job. Um, there's going to be ups and downs um, about everything. You know, in any business, any job you do, there's going to be ups and downs. Um, but you have to enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, you don't need to do it um, because. When you start out in this business, then it's changed a little bit. But when you when you start when we started out in this business, so it was it certainly wasn't because of the money. There you know there wasn't any money you know that that you would get paid to 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 stay in this business. But now with the money as lucrative as it is, um, I think you got to go into it with the idea that you got to love this business. You got to be passionate about it um, because you spend a lot of time there. And Rick, what's um, what's your assessment of Tampa Bay so far? Uh, the team that you spent so much time with in uh, in the play of Baker Mayfield. I think Todd's done a heck of a job at the beginning of the season, and I think Baker Mayfield. You know, it's I think he's in a situation where, and I really like the guys that are coaching him. Thad Lewis, you know, is is was a assistant receivers coach had played for Bruce, and then. Became the quarterback coach in the last year. I don't know much about Dave Canales, but I know their offensive line coaches, Harold Goodwin and, and Joe Gilbert, did a heck of a job. You know, Tom Moore's there. So I, I, I really like what they've done defensively. You know, Lars, you were, you, you've seen they got a good, they got a good core of defensive players. If they can keep those guys healthy, they got a shot. I mean, I, I think that division is, you know, everybody says it's weak, but. Then you go, you, you watch the Falcons knock off the Packers. You, you watch the Saints go up and beat the, the New England at home as bad as they did. And then, then you watch Tampa Bay go to New Orleans and beat them bad. 
So I think it's I think the decision the division's a little bit stronger, and I think Banker may be more, probably the best quarterback in the division. Rick, talk a little Tua with me. How good is he? Extremely accurate, man. Extremely accurate. I mean, he can. He he kind of reminds me of some of those old school. That's what Tom Brady was. Tom Brady was extremely accurate. Carson Palmer at Arizona, extremely accurate. Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, extremely accurate. Those guys take. And, and you know the, the guy that's that is kind of like that now too is the Purdy kid at San Francisco. All those guys they can throw the ball where it needs to be thrown. And two has got a lot of great weapons around him. And uh, as long as he can stay healthy. And they protect him. Um, I think he's going to have a heck of a year. And that's another team that'll make a run as long as they they can stay healthy. It's all about attrition up there. If he they can stay healthy, they can make a run. Speaking of Brock Purdy, how did this guy last until the seventh round? Not just to the seventh <laughs> round, but you know, he's the very last pick in the draft. And uh, on uh, was it Sunday night against Dallas? Uh, he, the the head coach comes out. Shanahan is like, well, he missed one throw all night. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Brock Purdy is just playing at such a high level. H- how is it that, 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 that Brock Purdy goes last pick in the draft? Tom Brady goes what uh, one ninety nine. I was yeah. just going to throw that out. I was just going to throw that out. Same way. There was there was another guy, Lars. You know, a long time ago, Kenny Anderson. That should be in the Hall of Fame. Played yes. for the Bengals. Yeah, played, He's my uncle. Played, <laughs> yeah, I played at Augustana College, you know. And, I mean, how those guys go along, it's, it's one of those things where it's a lot of times they go on numbers. They go, you know, the, the, they draft on numbers. And so, and you know, you've been around that. Is, is a guy 6'4"? Can he run this? Can they do that? Can they do He can't throw the ball 45 yards. But they sometimes, Bill Parcells always said this. He said, I want a quarterback that wins. And and he based a lot of his that that part of his draft on the quarterback is if that quarterback was a winner in college. In your last season, sorry, uh Matt, I just want to follow up real quick. In your last season with the Bucks, twenty twenty one, how far mm-hmm. could if 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 pressed, how far could Brady throw the ball in the air? If he's standing at the goal line, could he rip it? 65, 70 yards? I don't know if he could rip it 65, but he could rip it 50 for sure. I'm telling you, the guy, <laughs> I mean, you know, everybody said, well, he lost. No, he didn't lose anything. He, you know, he, he was, uh, he was still on the top of his game. He may have lost a little bit in certain areas, but he was still on the top of his game. And, and, uh, he still had enough arm strength to compete in the league. It, that was, you know, that was obvious all during the year. Rick, let's just, finish up by rolling down memory lane. You got a favorite game or two or a moment at UAB? Well, you know, the 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 one that sticks out in my mind, of course, is when we beat the only time I went against Coach Saban is when we beat them at LSU down there. Uh, that was one and oh. Yeah, certainly certainly one that, that sticks out in my mind. And uh, But there was another game that we played and you, you, I don't know if you remember this, Matt. We played TCU on a Friday night. I remember. And, and Danny, Dennis Francione was the head coach at Alabama. 
and he was the, the former head coach of TCU, and he came up to watch the game, and we stoned him. We absolutely stoned him. We hit him down 35 to nothing going into the fourth quarter or something like that. And uh, that's that's when a lot of stuff started about the UAB program. And uh, that was one that sticks in my mind. They were ranked like 17th in the nation, weren't they? They were ranked 17th in the nation, and the quarterback transferred a week later because we beat him up so bad. So <laughs> I remember that one fondly, and I remember Baton Rouge, how the fans were throwing crap at us up in the booth, and they were rocking our buses, and they already wanted to fire Nick Saban. <laughs> That's right. That's the first time after a game that I, I thought the guy was going to hand me a beer when he threw it at me. <laughs> Rick, we can go on and on. We need to do a podcast. Please give we our did, best to your family. Uh, do the same to yours, and thank thank you and Lars so much for uh, having having me on. Thank you, my Man. friend. Great stuff as always. Yeah, really. All right, thank you, uh, Lars. If you had a vote for Heisman, I want to know who it is right now, midway through the 2023 season, as you listen to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. Catch Christian and Corey Miller every weekday here on Tide 100.9. It's Christian Miller here from the Miller's Edge. And tomorrow, Wednesday, we will rush around the SEC, continue to break down Arkansas, and take your phone calls right here on the Miller's Edge on Tide 100.9. Tune in 11 to noon to hear Christian and Corey Miller break down everything from college to the pros on Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A warm afternoon with a good supply of sunshine. The high today, 81. Tonight becoming mostly cloudy with the low at 61. A cloudy day tomorrow with a few periods of light rain likely. Tomorrow's high in the middle 70s, around 76 degrees. I'm James Spam of the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 84 degrees in Tuscaloosa. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Hey, what a fun show. It's Big Noon Sports. We're going to wrap this thing up. Just going through some notes and files and stories. Periodicals online, what are you going to call it? Who would be your vote for Heisman if you had to turn in your ballot tonight? Well, that's a good question. Um, I know your guy is Michael Penix Jr., and that dude is very, very good. Uh, the Washington quarterback, lefty. Uh, Huskies had a bye week last week, but Nonetheless, uh, Penix, uh, according to Vegas, 
by most sports books, uh, jumped in front of Caleb Williams. Um, and, and the thing is, Caleb Williams, he put up pretty big numbers against Arizona. Um, I mean, not, not huge numbers. He threw for 219 touchdown, no picks, but, he struggled in the beginning of the game, and it took a triple overtime for USC to beat the Wildcats. But Caleb Williams, he showed a lot of heart, um, and uh, but he now is, uh, like I said, fell behind uh, Michael Penix. But if I, if I had a vote, and you know me, I'm a I'm a sentimental bloke. I would vote for Bo Nix. I would vote for Bo Nix, uh, and I still think he has a real shot at winning this. He's completing almost 80% of his passes. Um, he's thrown for almost 1,500 yards, 15 touchdowns, only one pick. He's rushed for a score. And now he is going to be on the national stage, right? Oregon goes to Seattle to play the Huskies on the road. So this is my prediction. Whoever wins this game, Oregon or Washington, the winner will not just, you know, be now the front runner to uh, win the Pac-12 and get to the college football playoffs, but the winner, the winning quarterback is going to win the Heisman Trophy. And this reminds me, not that I was, uh, well, no, I was born. I was five months old. 1971, going back, Oklahoma and Nebraska, one and two in the country. The top two Heisman Trophy candidates are Johnny Rogers, Greg Pruitt. Johnny Rogers in the first quarter gets a punt return. The, the punt, uh, uh, catches a punt return. First player down the field is Greg Pruitt, star running back for Oklahoma. Greg Pruitt makes that tackle. Greg Pruitt wins the national champion, or sorry, wins the Heisman Trophy. Oklahoma probably wins the national championship. Guess what? Johnny Rogers busts out of that tackle. Greg Pruitt finishes second in the Heisman. Nebraska goes on to win the Heisman Trophy. So next week, the Heisman will be decided. That's it? That's it. It's, 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 it's between. It's 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 either going to be Bo Nix or Penix. I do not think Caleb Williams is going to win it because of of last week. I think USC is going to lose uh, a, a game or two. It's going to take them out of contention. Uh, also, I think there's a bias against Caleb Williams because so few or only one person has won uh, two Heisman trophies, and that's Archie Griffin, as we know, back in the 70s. So I think it's all going to come down to next week. Massive, massive Pac-12 showdown. Your thoughts? Well, you're right. I'm a Penix guy, and I tend to agree with you on Bo versus Michael Penix Jr. So that may indeed decide it. I'll tell you who entered into the race in a lot of uh, voters' opinions this past week is Dylan Gabriel, uh, the quarterback for OU. And then I don't think he gets a whole lot of play, but, man, he is good. Uh, Jordan Travis at Florida State, I mean, he is. You know, they're all five of those guys are special quarterbacks. Yeah, they are. And this is basically a quarterback award. And I, I think Jaden Daniels – 
maybe still has a shot the quarterback at LSU I mean they would he would have to really uh, sort of move mountains to to get back into the race but somehow if he can uh, you know help LSU beat Alabama and win the SEC West uh, we'll see um, but you know you and I have talked all season long about we we've thought that Brock Bowers is the best player in the country pound for pound. I was surprised by our previous guest, Rick, a uh, longtime tight end coach in the NFL. He doesn't seem as high on Bowers as, as you and I just because, you know, he's not necessarily that that uh, he, he's not sold on his blocking ability. Right. And, and Michael Pitts or Kyle Pitts, excuse me, the tight end out of Florida. He's been yeah. a little bit of a disappointment with the Falcons. And he was picked, I got to say, uh, one slot, number four, ahead of Jamar Chase, who's number one for Cincinnati. Their quarterback is number nine, Joe Burrow, 10-10. Today's 10-10, so it's Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase Day. Uh, I told you yesterday, my grandson, I asked him what jersey he wanted for Christmas, and he said Jamar Chase. Well, I just bought my girls two two uh, Jamar Chase yep. jerseys. Should be arriving uh, tomorrow. Very excited. Hey, what a fun show, Lars! What do you say we line up and hit them again tomorrow? Let's do it in twenty two hours. That's it. Thanks for listening to Big Noon Sports.